I have a confession to make. This is my favorite hamburger in the entire world. It's just the right amount of cheese and bacon and, if I'm being honest, grease. And it's perfection with a couple of onion rings, a few fries. This hamburger is far too often one of the staples that I go to. And this is going to be one of my problems in life. You know, in last week's episode, we talked about God and who God was. This week, we're going to talk about what God's purpose is. But in the midst of all of this, we run into the problem of my free will. You see, my free will wants this hamburger. But the, but the problem is, I know I shouldn't be eating this hamburger. But that hamburger is just perfection on a plate. What I should be eating is a salad. But see, God gave me free will, and that's going to be an issue. Free will is what makes all things possible that we're interested in, whether we realize it or not. Without free will, there can be no love. There can be no relationships. There can't be anything like that. And the problem is, with free will, goes all sorts of bad things that come along with that, too. While we get love and relationships and all sorts of great things, we get bad decision-making like this hamburger. And that's going to be a problem because God is going to have to deal with having a relationship with me combined with the fact that my free will wants to do things that I probably shouldn't do. It's also not helping my relationship with my wife right now. But as we look at this week's episode, we try to figure out how does my free will impact God's ability to have a relationship with me? Just a brief spoiler alert before we get started on this week's episode. We're going to spend a lot of time this week looking at what the Bible says God's purpose is. Now, some people look at this who are skeptics and say, I'm not really interested in what the Bible says. I don't care what the Bible says. And we'll address that further down the road. But the main thing I want to get across here is if we're looking for what God's purpose is, the place you go to do that is actually the Bible, since that's his word. So... I know we're going to talk about the Bible a lot this week, but I think this might be helpful in actually placing context around the greater journey of God's love for us and where we're going. So sit tight and let's get started. Welcome back to the Seeking Proof Finding Grace podcast. I'm your host, Ron Campbell, and this week, as with every week, I want to begin by challenging you with the most important fact in the entire universe. God loves you. Now, as we started off on this journey last week, we began wrapping some context around our relationship with God. And we did that last week by introducing us to God, who he says he is through the pages of the Bible, which is probably a better way to look at this than just looking at some other opinions of who people think God is. This week, we're going to change our focus a little bit, and we're going to look at what is God's purpose. Now, this is going to take a couple weeks to get through. But it'll be worth it in the end as we do this. This week, we're going to start off at a really high level. And we're going to look at the question of free will and how that impacts God's purpose. You know, God's purpose in all of this, the only thing get, that God gets out of creation and everything that we see around us is a relationship between us and him. And he considers it so valuable and so worthwhile that he's willing to walk through everything else that we see around us and all the difficulties and things that, well, they disturb us too. 
So we're going to take a look at that this week at a really high level. And then next week, we're going to bring that down and focus it in on the younger son again from our story last week of the prodigal son. And we're going to look at that in yours and my life as well. You know, this issue of free will impacts more than just, you know, what I should be eating for lunch and and didn't. This impact of free will drives a great many things that we're going to see in all of this. The great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, if a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. That's from Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. You know, I think we all understand that when we think about relationships that we have, not just between us and God, but between us and anybody. If we aren't 100% free, if we don't have 100% free will, you don't really have a free relationship. You can't have any relationship unless you've got that component of free will. And with that component of free will, you introduce an enormous risk. You have a risk of people behaving badly, which is exactly what we see has happened in all of this. Back in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of mankind. When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke our relationship with God. But when they did that, the number of problems that present themselves suddenly, not just for us returning to God, but for God getting us back into relationship with him, the number of problems is far greater than we sometimes recognize on our own. God is left with only two solutions at this point, and so are we in this situation. Either we can try to earn our way back to God, and remember, earning our way back to God isn't any small thing. God was setting us up for an eternal relationship with him, and the only way eternity works is a perfect, sinless life. Well, that's going to be too much for us, and God recognizes that. So the second option, the only other option on the table, is for God to take care of this himself and for God to pay the price with his own perfect, sinless son to pay the price through his body and blood to return us back to relationship with God. That process restores us completely, and it's the only thing that God is going to accept because God doesn't want to lose us along the way. He wants all of us back into relationship with him, all of us who would freely choose to do so. So I want to lay this out, and I want to walk through this where God lays this out, In Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to read through Ephesians chapter 1 so that you get a feel for for exactly what we're looking at here. We're going to read through this scripture quite a few times over the weeks to come, but I want this to sink in so you understand the fullness of God's plan of restoration for us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he, God, chose us in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Okay, think about that for a minute. Before Jesus laid the foundations of the world, he knew that it was going to take him going to the cross to redeem us and save us back and bring us back into relationship with him. He knew he was going to give us a chance to do it on our own. He knew we weren't going to make it no matter what he did. And so he walked into this process knowing no matter what it's going to take, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to keep them in relationship with me. It's going to be a long journey, but I'm going to get them there. And he was willing to pay that price. Let me start verse four back over and we'll continue on. Just as he, God, 
chose us in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, so he knew we weren't going to make it on our own, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's God's grace that does all of this. By whom he made us accepted in the beloved. He knew, again, I I know I've said this before, he knew we weren't going to make it, and he knew he was going to bring us back through Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, we're going to come back to that, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. In that phrase in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, what that means is God picked, before the universe ever began, before he laid the foundations of the earth, God picked the perfect moment at the perfect time to go to the cross and to redeem us back. But what we're also going to see is there are there's a set time to all of this that God's got to do all of this. So that's the plan. It can't be through us. So when everything was broken, when Adam and Eve broke everything in the garden, and let's be honest, there are people who say, you know, this all goes back to Adam's sin, has nothing to do with us. Like we would do any better. I mean, come on. We all recognize and know that we're, we're not going to live a perfect life. None of us are. So recognizing that we all would have done exactly the same thing. We all would have broken relationship with God at some point. God is looking at this and saying, look, it's okay. I'm going to bring you back. I'm not going to try to make you do this on your own. But it goes a little deeper than that. And that's where I want to go next, looking at two passages of Scripture that we don't oftentimes look at, but they're going to frame this for us and help us to understand how deep the problem really goes. Let's jump into Revelation chapter 5. Now, in Revelation chapter 5, John is in the throne room of heaven as the last seven years of what we see around us on earth are about to begin. In the Bible, it's called the Great Tribulation. During these last seven years, God is going to reconcile everything back to himself. As we walk forward through this, though, there's a really important passage in here that we need to look at, and then we're going to connect it back to what we see. But let's start by looking at this. This is John writing. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back. That's important. We'll come back to that in a minute. Sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open or read the scroll or to look at it. And one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Now, this is Jesus that he's talking about, but let's talk about this scroll and try to determine what this scroll is. The scroll is written on the front and on the back, and during this time what that would be indicative of is a legal document. And a lot of theologians believe this is the title deed to everything that Adam and Eve lost during the fall, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. 
it's taken the entire time from Genesis chapter 3 at the beginning all the way now to the beginning of the end to reconcile all of this and bring it back together. But Jesus is going to open this scroll, and you can see how important it is. Nobody's even able to look at it. It's that important. No one can open it. And you notice no one on in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to open it. It's not like God doesn't look and say, okay, well, let's have a list of people who can come up and do it. Nobody is able to. But there's something unique about Jesus that means that he is able to do so, that he's able to be able to pay the price to open this scroll to get back everything that was lost. So it's critically important, and we know it's important because John weeps. He, John's not even entirely sure of everything that's going on, but he recognizes the importance of this moment and the importance of what is in this scroll, that before everything can proceed forward, this scroll has got to be opened. And it's so important that when John thinks no one's going to be able to do it, he actually cries. And one of the elders looks at him and says, don't worry, Jesus has got this covered. Now, if we take this back and we jump all the way back to the book of Matthew, chapter 4, we're going to see the answer to part of what's going on here. Now, if we go back to this point and we look at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, and he immediately goes into the wilderness. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he's tempted by the devil. And at the end of that time, he faces one last set of temptations. And when he does so, there's a very interesting exchange that connects us directly to this that sometimes you could miss. Let's pick up John chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. This is what Satan has been after ever since his downfall. Pride consumed him, and what he wants is worship. He wants to be worshipped just like God. But he looks at Jesus and says, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What's missing here speaks volumes, because you notice what Jesus doesn't say to him. You're lying. That's not yours to offer. When Satan offers him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory, he has them to offer. They're his. This is the part that we miss. You know, there's so many things we get angry with God about. Why is there disease? Why is there suffering? Why are there tsunamis and earthquakes and volcanoes? Why are there all of these things? And we never actually stop for a minute to ask the question, well, who's actually running the show? When Adam and Eve fell, they lost possession of everything that we see around us. Satan offers it to Jesus, all the kingdoms of this world and all of their glory. If they weren't his to offer, he couldn't have done so. Jesus would have called him out on it right there on the spot. You start to see the predicament that God gets into in all of this. Our free will has led to this tremendous problem that we have. We broke relationship with God. Now, God had to give us free will. Otherwise, he couldn't have a real relationship with us. And when we got that free will, we broke relationship with him. But we, it doesn't stop there. We've given the title deed to everything that we should have had over to the adversary. 
that creature and his companions have been going after us ever since. And they have ownership over everything that we should have had. This ought to begin to give you some idea of the problem that God's going to have. You know, we started off this episode and we looked at, you know, me grimacing over my favorite cheeseburger in the world and wishing that I could eat that cheeseburger and knowing that I should have something else. And while it's kind of funny, we all face those choices every single day. But in the big picture, the first choice that we faced was walking away from God. And we did so. Now we've got to make the choice to return to God and to get back into relationship with him. And that's where we see this journey going. Next week, we're going to refocus this back and we're going to bring it down onto a more realistic level. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for the prodigal son that we talked about last week? And what are the options that God's got? After that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's plan to get us back. What's the long-term plan? We've just talked about that from Ephesians chapter 1. God's got this covered, and we know in the end that he gets there. But don't worry, God's not leaving us there without being here to help us and bringing a lot of support along the way. We're going to stop there this week. I want to thank you for joining us on Seeking Proof, Finding Grace. If you've got questions, please feel free to reach out to us via email at prooftograce at yahoo.com. Or you can find us on our website at prooftograce.com, our Facebook page. And we'd love to have you click that subscribe button and the like button if you like this podcast. We'll see you next time on Proof to Grace. Thank you so much for joining us. Goodbye.